when you get to that place where you're like, I don't want to, I can't look myself in the mirror a single more time uh, until I make a change, until I'm willing to um, take accountability for uh, what I'm doing to myself. And um, that it feels like the worst day of your life, but it is the most, uh, it is the start of a brand new life. You know, I don't look back on my day one and think that was the worst day of my life. God, no, it might've felt like it at the time, (laughs) (laughs) but that was the beginning of the transformation. I mean, that was maybe the most important day of my life. Are you ready for stories of resilience, triumph, and transformation? Well, you're in the right place. This is the Knocking Doors Down podcast. I'm your host, Jason Lachance, certified recovery coach. I have struggled with my own mental health issues through anxiety and depression, as well as addiction, primarily in the area of alcoholism. And through my recovery journey and helping others, I want to get stories out of amazing people, be it celebrities or everyday heroes who've done true transformation with their lives. And my guest, Celeste Devon, is phenomenal sober mom advocate writer and a certified recovery coach as well reason i want to talk to celeste is i wanted a woman and mother's point of view on recovery her recent book it's not about the wine the loaded truth behind mommy wine culture is phenomenal Celeste and I dig into a multitude of things. We start with three things she's grateful for. Why she says secrets are powerful, especially in families of addiction, and why you gotta bring those to light. We also get into why fulfillment isn't external and doing that inside work. After all, no outside solutions to inside problems, right? Why it was important for Celeste to write in her recovery journey and then share it with others. As well, we dig into random questions, which include the best and worst advice she's ever received. If you want more on Celeste, click that link in the podcast description and enjoy this episode of Knocking Doors Down. Ms. Celeste Devon, thank you for joining me on Knocking Doors Down. Thanks, Jason. Glad to be here. Oh, it's uh, it's all my pleasure because uh, you're just you're doing a lot of the work that I myself am striving towards. Of course, you focus more on um, on women, which is great because I think we all need a uh, a place that feels like it's for us. You know? Yeah, I think it's helpful, especially in recovery. Oh God, yes, of course. Well, I want to start with gratitude. Three things you're grateful for today. I am grateful uh, to be in recovery. I am grateful that my kids are healthy and safe and at school. (laughs) And uh, I'm grateful I have a really supportive partner who has spent half of our marriage uh, while I was drinking and the other half with me in recovery. (laughs) Do you mind if if we dive into that a little bit? Because I've had uh, quite a few people, you know come to me. I've, I've started my recovery coaching. I'm not out there as much as you. It's kind of been referrals at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, but that transition is really hard for marriages. It is. Uh, it's probably the biggest question. The most common question I get asked is, uh, how can I quit drinking or stay sober if my spouse still drinks? Mm-hmm. 
And it can be a huge challenge. And it's something that I've had to tackle myself. Uh, and then I talk to women about it all the time um, who are eagerly seeking these answers because the odds of you having a partner who is on the same wavelength as you for wanting to quit drinking um, or for being motivated to stop alongside you on your journey is not uh, very common. It's quite rare. Uh, and even the amount of women I talk to whose partners are not supportive of them quitting drinking is a huge challenge. Like they know for themselves, I have to do this. And their loved ones, if not, you know, the most important person in their life disagrees with them uh, and is unsupportive. And in some cases, it even feels like they are um, almost passive aggressively trying to sabotage them by drinking in front of them, by putting the alcohol out there. Uh, and it can really hurt um, or challenge a relationship. Um, I And I had a supportive partner uh, who, you know, I did not tell him the extent of my drinking, why I needed to stop, but I told him I needed to stop. And he was supportive to the extent that he understood how big of a problem this was or lack thereof. Mm -hmm. But um, even then it was extremely challenging. We dated and were married for the first five years uh, kind of in that alcohol haze. Um, most people, uh, you know, start dating and meeting each other through alcohol. Uh, and it, uh, to take that now away from a relationship, especially if it was a major factor in your dates, in your sex life, in all the things to now just eliminate it off the table, um, it's going to change the relationship. Yep. And I've even had, you know, my husband and I have had to talk about it in marriage therapy. Well, you know, is this a, <laughs> he asked me, you know, my husband's a normie. He asked me, is this like a forever thing? Or now that you've kind of proven that you can do it uh, without alcohol, will you go back to it eventually? And um, we had to kind of talk through, you know, life as we knew it is forever changed. Mm -hmm. But on the other side, you know, I, I'm six years sober. I can't even imagine where our marriage would be right now if I was still drinking. Right. In uh, the worst way. Oh, <laughs> as an individual that uh, went through a divorce and another relationship and, you know, I, I in both of those, I, and I hadn't really thought about this was boy, I tried the abstinence route in both of those and I did not have supportive partners with mm. it. I definitely got the, why don't you drink less? Why don't you just smoke weed? Why don't you, you know, it's like, and, and the, the last one, it was, look, you don't really understand addiction. I've been, you know, I've been going to AA. I went through it with my father. I, I am accepting that I am an alcoholic. There is no magic pill. There is no magic cure. There is no, are you sure, you know, take six months off. And then once you tackle that, it's like, you don't realize how quickly my life will revert back to ending up in handcuffs. Mm -hmm. You or just worse. don't. Or yeah. worse. 
or worse. Yeah. And there, there was, there was the worst, there was the attempt of the worst. So uh, how did you really, or how did your husband even educate himself on really what addiction is? He, uh, he reads my stuff. Uh, he has, you know, I think after he started reading my, my writings about my own sober journey, my own recovery and seeing how intensive this is, this isn't about, you know, sometimes I regret drinking too much. This is, uh, the mental gymnastics of thinking about alcohol all the time, uh, about planning, uh, when and where I'm going to drink, about sneaking pours in, about sneaking drinks in when people, I mean, there was a lot of secrets. I mean, when he understood the full extent of what was going on uh, beyond what he was aware of, it really clicked for him. Mm. But it, I, it took me a long time for him to even get to a place where I was ready to share the full extent. Sure. Uh, so that's why, you know, it, it takes a while. It's not an overnight, um, you know, here's my, here's my vow of support. Uh, it, it took learning, understanding, education, and awareness, uh, and me being truly vulnerable to be able to say, here's how bad it was that you didn't even know about. Yeah. Um, you know, he might miss sometimes, you know, I think he might miss his drinking buddy, but he has a present uh, wife who he can count on to stay safe around our children. I mean, I think when he has to weigh the pros and cons, <laughs> that's going to win every time. <laughs> oh, yeah. And you said something so valuable there that that for me and 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 I know other people in recovery have we've conversed about is that intimacy because it really is of letting someone fully in on the depths of what it is and it's a scary process how how do you with, with your coaching or and use your personal experiences to really help people with that because it is a scary intimacy <laughs> to to open yeah. up about this is the depths of of even though, you know, as as when we are in full blown addiction, we're not a totally present, full human being by any stretch of the means. But these were still our actions. These were still our thoughts. These were still our emotions. I mean, that's a lot to open up to someone about. Even when we think, you know, marriage, husband, wife, whatever, it's uh, it's scary. Well, and as you know, you know, when you grow up in a family of addiction, secrets are powerful. Mm -hmm. Um we we hold a lot of power in our secrets and um i was raised believing that you know my secrets have power so it takes it's 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 a baby steps process it's doing it in safe spaces and it's doing it with safe people i mean there are certain people that i will not talk beyond the weather with them because I, I know intuitively they're not safe. Uh, but my husband is a safe person that I can have these conversations with and know that I'm safe. Um, he's not going to, you know, tear everything away from me or, you know, if we're going to have a, a challenging conversation, I might bring it up 
in front of a therapist. I mean, there are ways we can approach it and it, we can do it in small steps. Um, so it doesn't feel like we are just, you know, word vomiting um, all of our, our biggest pains and, yeah. and um, concerns uh, and, you know, just, and give, give each other time. I mean, time's a huge factor here too. I'm, this is six years in the works and my first year sober, like beyond telling my husband, I had to quit drinking. That was probably the extent of how much we talked about it. It was very hush, hush. I'm not, I don't even know what I'm doing. I'm not ready to talk about it. Um, It was absolutely a small step by small step process. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Knocking Doors Down by Carlos Vieira. Now available wherever you get audiobooks. I wasn't done partying, and I didn't want the binge to end. I think I knew that when I finally got home, I'd have to face what I had done, and I wasn't ready to do that. Being responsible for my actions wasn't something I was looking forward to. I had abandoned my wife and baby, my family, and my business. I wanted to avoid the shame of returning to what I had left behind. Even though I was not yet going home, I wasn't sure I had enough resources to continue the binge. Click the link in the podcast description to find out more. And I, I personally think that's um, a really awesome way to approach. And I, I don't know what you've come across, but I see some people that new to recovery and yes, be excited about what your future holds for you. But they're just so incredibly out there right away when they really haven't the cross the threshold of a lot of things that like you don't know what's coming yet you really don't the first year is such a uh i mean there's so much going on you know i think about the metaphor of like the the caterpillar in the cocoon like there's it's not a pretty year. It's goopy. It's gross. Uh, there's a lot of stuff going on behind this, behind closed doors. Uh, and there's a beautiful outcome coming and awaiting, but there's a lot of work that has to be done. Uh, it does. It makes me nervous when I see people so vocal or even getting into kind of coaching spaces so early in their own process. It, I I would love to see see people be more focused on their own experience and uh, their own recovery and, and taking that time because it's so critical. Mm-hmm. Do you think people do that? It, let me let me and and I know I actually did this, so I'm kind of answering my own question. But they think that the work with other people is their recovery. And I'm going to tell you that, you know, I'm in my longest run. I'll be uh, coming up on uh, three years is is my longest time. I've had about two years and a year and a half. uh, You know, I'm kind of one of those people. And that was my mistake was that my helping other people was my recovery. No, no, it's it's a part of it. Yes, we are to be a service to others, but that's when we're taking care of 
the the 95% of us and that's that extra 5% of our recovery. And I think people get that wrong. No, I totally see what you're saying. And I think there's something to be said. I think there's a difference here between uh, people sharing their stories and people trying to coach others. Mm-hmm. Um, I think people sharing their stories in early recovery is so valuable and so special and so important. And I one of one of my biggest regrets is I wish I wrote more mm. in my early recovery because that is a time and experience that um was very unique. And you know, it was the goop. It was the goop of the process. And um I did not write down my thoughts and my concerns and my fears um and my wins and joys but um i was scared i was so scared i think i was afraid i would talk myself out of it just through mm-hmm. my own words uh but i i wish i could go back and and look back on that time uh but i see people in their early recovery talking about it writing about it sharing about it and there's a special unique kind of energy there that is invaluable for um all of us for people in early recovery long-term recovery and people who are sober curious or just starting to think about it uh and so i hope you know everybody feels to some extent confident enough that their share that their story is important and um, that they have a safe place where they feel like they can share it, uh, regardless of where they're at. Yeah, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. And, and you know, I'm a 12-step guy. I, I, you know, it, it, the rooms saved my life. They really did. And 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 I agree with you, that place to be able to come and and share one's stories or, or even just the, the, the micro story, you know. Because sometimes it is those tiny little things that that we're hung up on, and and you said something really interesting there that you had a childhood. I don't remember the exact wording, but where you felt the secrets were the empowering thing. Let me ask about that, if you don't mind jumping back. What was childhood for Celeste, and why did you start to to develop that? I think it's a protection mechanism. I don't know about you. Absolutely. Uh, well, I grew up believing, you know, f- family family keeps secrets, um, and this is our family secret, and that was my father's addiction. And um, I think growing up with a father who was an alcoholic, um, it set this precedent that um, we don't talk about this. We don't uh, speak of this. We put on the smiley faces and we send the Christmas cards. uh, And this is our little secret. And I think that's one of the, probably the main reasons why I'm so vocal about my story uh, is because I, I don't want more secrets. I'm done with secrets. I've seen what happens to families who keep secrets and and I, I want to raise children who know they can ask me anything. Uh, that my experience is an open book. Mm. Um, and so that uh, is, I think, in part why I'm so passionate about the importance of us being able to share our stories. Yeah. 
Well, I, and I and I commend you, and and um, you know, I see it the same way because I, I don't know, you know, hey, we're we're only as uh, experienced a parent as our oldest child, right? And um, and I've hopefully my kids know that that they can ask those things, and I've communicated it well enough to them because it's the only way I can arm them with anything is through educating them and sharing my experience and knowledge, you know, just as much as here's how you change a tire. Here's, you know, <laughs> when the car's going a little bad, here's what you got to do, or you got to clean out the lint trap on the dryer, you know, to me, it's like, these are basic life principles and, and things that I can share with you and instill in you because it does come from a lineage of your family. And, you know, there is data behind, is this uh, hereditary or not? And, you know, all these things. And I tell them, hey, you know, you guys, you're going to experiment. There's, there's not anything I can do about that. Hopefully, if it's a situation, you're somewhere, you know, you've had too much, you call me, I pick you up, whatever it is. But understand that if you're like the person at the party that would kill someone for a fourth drink, then we need to have an extra conversation because mm -hmm. I'm letting you know that's who dad was. Yeah, I think we have to talk to our kids about these things because regardless of whether or not uh, we do, they will hear about it. They're already, like my kids are seven and nine. They're already, like I hear them in uh, the background talking about you're driving like you're drunk. You know, I, I heard my son say that the other day. And um, the, the media... Uh, YouTube, TV, and the kids at school, if I don't talk to them about this, they're going to hear it from all of them. Mm -hmm. And um, they need to have at least my perspective to incorporate into what they decide they want to do. Uh, and that's the, I mean, sometimes that's all the power we have as their parents. I wish we had more. We don't. <laughs> yeah. The best I can do is at least let them know they can talk to me about anything and here's what I know. Let's uh, let's tackle culture. I want uh, would like your perspective because I I was having a discussion with can't remember if it was a group the other night or if it was one on one, but about um, I brought up like what the heck happened to the TV dad? Like when I was growing up, you know, it was the the Jason Seaver, the good responsible dad <laughs> that was the psychologist, you know, and then now it's like every dad on TV is a total jackass. They get home. They have a horrible attitude. Uh, once something comes up as a problem, I'm off to the bar, and you know, or it's, uh, you know, give me another, like, what happened to, like, what is out there? You know what I'm saying? So, so much of it is culture because I know you do a lot around the mommy wine culture. Mm -hmm. You know, so much stuff culturally, too, is is part of that exposure that it's like, well, I guess that's what men do or what women do. And, you know, it's... Uh, yeah, it doesn't it, have to be. It's such a big part of the narrative. You know, it's funny because when I think about the TV dad, what immediately comes to mind is Al Bundy and uh, Homer Simpson. Right. You know, <laughs> just um, these, you know, these men that they get home from work and they just lounge on the couch. They stick their hand down their pants and they grab a beer. And um, that that is what I think of. Um and I don't know, I don't think it's much better anymore, but 
you know, when I think about mommy wine culture, I think about this narrative that our kids are the reason we drink mm -hmm. and moms have it. Uh, and we have these pressures and this, um, connection between mothers and wine and dads have it daddy there's a daddy beer culture that is so prevalent especially around sports uh and these two just go hand in hand this is what dads do or or golf you know men go to the golf course and they drink this is what we do and um there is this attitude that uh we we need something to numb out because parenting's really hard. And I subscribed to this narrative uh, in early motherhood too, uh, because I was burnt out. Mm -hmm. I was drained. I felt like there was no other solution. And I felt like if I genuinely raised the, the white flag and say, you know, I need help, it made me look like a weak mom. It made me look like less of a mom. So I look around and everywhere I see mommy needs wine, you know, this pervasive message that you can, you can buy the t-shirt at Target now. And um, I was like, I can get behind this. Uh, but as anybody, any parent who's ever tried to parent with a hangover knows it is the worst experience on the planet. Um, there's nothing harder and it is really a form of self-sabotage. Uh, and it took me a while to realize that this is, you know, even if it was meant at a playful joke, it's a harmful joke. It's a harmful message to our children. Uh, it's a harmful message to mothers who are struggling. Uh, they might be struggling with postpartum depression or anxiety. They might be single mothers. And this uh, to insinuate that alcohol or drugs, just this numbing out is what's going to fix what ails you um, is not uh, what we should be advocating for when it comes to parenting and uh really setting ourselves up mentally and physically to thrive. Yeah, it, it it conveys to people that, hey, you know, all these things that you feel inside, there's nothing you can do about it, but here's some external solutions for you. You know, what well, my 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 slogan is no outside solutions to inside problems. Mm -hmm. And 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 you know, people like you and me that come from home homes of addiction our coping mechanisms are already screwy as is, you know, because exactly. we used to, we would, you know, I, I mean, I was a guy that I thought my relationships, okay, I can fix this through a good time that included generally alcohol, uh, gift giving or, or romance, but there was never connectivity, self-improvement, spirituality, exploration. None of those things were even there. You know, it's, it's all these external things that, I don't know. They, they, I mean, yeah, it's just, it's, it's crazy how our society and the ills of it, this is the logic by which many people think you strive and thrive and, and prevail through situations. And it's just not. It comes down to, I mean, when you think about it, it just, it comes down to buying stuff, right? I mean, mm -hmm. ultimately, like you said, uh, something external is going to fix what ails us when uh, it is, it's an inside job. And at the same time, you know, I advocate for mothers who uh, we need better systemic solutions in place. Uh, we need better, uh, more 
equitable distribution of labor at home. Mm. We need better postpartum support um, at the hospital uh, and through healthcare. So, I mean, there are things that we need at a systemic level that would be far more helpful uh, in improving our quality of lives than kind of gaslighting each other by insinuating alcohol will fix our problems. Right. Well, and I can't imagine that, you know, I I don't think men and fathers, we see it as much. Although I have had some men say that they, you know, like body image issues. And obviously when you become a mom, your body changes. There's things that are different in this, this, this pressure that I see of, you know, oh, I, I have to remain attractive because if I remain attractive, then my marriage is going to be fine. You know, and it's, it's so many of these, these pressures that have nothing to do with content of character. That's so funny you say that because I'm, I have been in and out of recovery for an eating disorder for the right. last 20 years. And I'm back in it right now on an IOP for, I'm calling it like an eating disorder tune-up, but we were just having this conversation about body image and how our bodies don't define us. Mm -hmm. And um, how do you separate who we are in, intrinsically with um, our physical appearance or our weight? They're so intricately linked, though. Um, and again, you know, you go on social media, you you look around, and everything feels defined by body image, by anti aging, by um, looking young and beautiful and and thin and um i think about where i was at age 16 with these messages that felt like this was all that mattered and i look now in my 40s and our children especially the girls are getting the exact same message if not worse uh, and we're not moving the needle um in a healthy way uh to put people in a position where they can focus on what matters on the inside mm -hmm. uh, because you look around and all you see is this external measurement of uh, what defines beauty or health. Um, and it's, it's not in a healthy way. It's not what we should be focused on. No. And it's, <sighs> By no means is it the longevity for a purposeful life. No. <laughs> We've know? lost that message. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's... Have you dug into the archives of past Knocking Doors Down podcast episodes? The Knocking Doors Down podcast archive is available to you for free. Check it out. Here's a snippet from when Charlie Sheen was on the podcast. AA is not the best place for... Um... For, for a famous atheist. Um, just, I kept looking for that fucking chapter. What, you know? So, yeah, um, but it's not a one-size-fits-all, sure, you yeah. know? It's like, it's like saying that we all think the same, like our brains are built the same. They're just not. Right. Yeah. There's, there's such uniqueness involved. 
Check out this episode and so many more in the Knocking Doors Down archive. And while you're at it, please hit that subscribe button on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. If it's Apple Podcasts, leave a rating and a review. And if it's Spotify, hey, please leave that five-star rating. I'm seeing a real nice uptick in listenership to Knocking Doors Down. Please share with somebody else you think will get value out of the podcast. It's really sad. Some some young men that I've I've talked to in recovery like you know hey i like a girlfriend uh, well you know that's not a hard thing you know george i can you know uh well yeah it is well i don't know i mean no offense i was an incredibly shy insecure kid i had body image issues because i'm six two like 175 soaking wet i've always been skinny i grew up in the era of being a fan of Hulk Hogan and, uh, you know, Sylvester Stallone and Arnold Schwarzenegger and these guys. And it's like, I, I, I just don't have a body type that can achieve that. And, uh, and I actually, my youngest was having a conversation. Well, when did you feel comfortable in your body? When I started doing recovery, well, you've mm-hmm. only been trying to get sober or, or working sobriety for like six and a half, seven years. Exactly. Wasn't until my late thirties. It was like, Hey, yeah. you know, this is what I got. And, and, but back to the talking to young men, they're like, well, no, because he goes like young women now that, that they expect that, uh, you know, they're kind of cute. So they should be able to have the upper 1% guy. They want a guy that's already set up when they're only 22 years old, have yet to figure out the world. And he goes, I don't know how many girls I've tried to date and they have an only's fan only fans. And that's the way they're making their income. And, you know, it's, it's, it's like a sad ill culture in this mm-hmm. way. It really is. God, that that depresses me just hearing that. But, well, let's yeah. let's use it to help. Let's not get depressed. But <laughs> but it is. I I feel for these young men and young women that they think that this is this is their pathway towards success in, in life. And fulfillment. And fulfillment. It, it's the opposite, right? Which we know, but um it's a long, hard road to get to that place where you where you realize what doesn't work. Mm. Mm, yeah. What are some of the things maybe that you work with, with the, the in your coaching for the examining what doesn't work? I mean, when you look at uh, like taking drinking, for example, and you kind of reflect on wh- what it's doing for you versus what it's hurting you or keeping you from doing uh, you can get a pretty good gauge for how beneficial this is in your life. And, and, and you can do that exercise with just about anything. Uh, but you really have to kind of start with one thing and then slowly make your way to other things. You know, I know people who want to, you know, they want to quit drinking, they want to quit smoking, they want to, uh, rethink their relationship and they want to do it all at the same time. And it really, you got to start, I mean, it it comes down to harm reduction, right? You got to start with what is hurting you the most and then work your way backwards Mm. um, and kind of just keeping really tunnel visioned on uh, one thing at a time, focused and, um, working on building those neural pathways, those new habits, um, before you can step into the next uh, facet of what you want to work on. I mean, that really is why at six years sober, I am making my 
my eating and my intuitive eating a big focus this year because mm-hmm. I'm finally ready. Yeah. You know, first I had to get my recovery um, in a place where I felt really strong, uh, in a really good place. Now I can work on some of those other things that were killing me a little more slowly. Mm-hmm. And um, that's, I mean, this is just how life works. You know, you just, you just, you keep going each day, uh, one day at a time with the understanding that you just want to try a little, you'd want to do a little bit better each day and consistently uh, for a better life. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, I hadn't really thought about it until you presented it that way. But, you know, when people say, oh, you tackle your debt, you start with the financial debt, you start with the smallest and then work the biggest. Mm. Well, <laughs> with this, it's the opposite. And it has to be. It has to be. Yeah, because I would have never uncovered some of the problems that I had with, you know, surrounding sex and intimacy. And I don't just mean physical and all these things until I got the drink out of the way. Right. It it had to be the start. It really and for alcohol um, or drugs, it really does have to be the first thing you tackle, like in so many stories, like certainly not every story, but before you can work on your marriage issues, more often than not, you've got to start with the alcohol problem. (laughs) (laughs) That's how it works. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I can see the fictitious couple or that's based on reality going into the marriage counselor. Well, you guys say you argue a lot. Yeah. Well, why is that? And then finally somebody admits, well, it always happens whenever we're drinking and it's like, aha, (laughs) that's it. Let's examine that. Let's start there. And a lot of people don't want to, you know, I've met couples before. It's like, okay, well, if you don't change, nothing's going to change. It's just the way it is. It's a hard truth. But um, for so many of us, you know, we didn't quit drinking until, you know, what the famous quote, we got sick and tired of our own bullshit. And um, that that's really what it comes down to. Like when you get to that place where you're like, I don't want to, I can't look myself in the mirror a single more time uh, until I make a change, until I'm willing to um, take accountability for uh, what I'm doing to myself. And um, that it feels like the worst day of your life, but it is the most, uh, it is the start of a brand new life. You know, I don't look back on my day one and think, that was the worst day of my life. God, no. It might have felt like it at the time, (laughs) (laughs) but that was the beginning of the transformation. I mean, that was maybe the most important day of my life. And I think it's the point when when we're able to have that, that for me in reflection, acknowledging that, boy, I'm never going to have connectivity and intimacy really deeply with others, especially, you know, a partner, if I can't do it with myself. Right. And, and, and you know, drinking, drugging, sexing, spending, whatever your thing is, gambling, you're not going to be able to. Because no one's ever going to really know us like we know us. It's it's just we're with ourselves every day, all day, you know, and if we can't really connect at who we are, what 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 do we really want to give to life? I just I don't know. I don't know what to tell someone at that point. And other than, hey, 
let's let's examine. We got to examine. We got to dig in. I think it it's so impactful too when I realized that for all the numbing I was doing mm-hmm. to get through the hard times, I was also numbing out on the the great feelings too. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I was numbing out um, the the natural highs of life and in parenting. You know, I think back on my child, my children's milestones, and um, I. I'll never get to re-experience them sober. I'll never get to re-experience them with a clear mind. And um, I missed out, you know, I, but I I can do it now. I I get to, I get to do it now. And that is really the power that comes with sobriety is I get to change today. Yeah. And and it's, and you know, then that your thoughts, memories, actions, that they were genuine and authentic. You know, I, I, I talk a lot. I was a, a recovering people pleaser. I don't know if you are, yeah. but, you know, so many of the connections that I thought were deep, real, whatever I was telling myself were completely false because I was not, I wasn't being genuine and authentic and experiencing them with a sober mind and a sober body and a sober spirit. And really, you know, not just robbing myself, but other people of that too. And that was a real big challenge for me to confront and and have to work every day because mm-hmm. you know i'm i'm a natural storyteller <laughs> you know so it's like okay I, you know it's the area that i have to examine a lot but i do want to ask you about um sober mom squad um i mean goodness you're writing all these things when when did you feel the time to to let's put out some writing and share with people i mean you've you're you're writings it's taken off so many different people it's had a wonderful impact upon Thank you i so i started writing um before i quit drinking but uh it was about motherhood i was a motherhood writer and i wrote for different outlets and i created my own blog and all the things i didn't start opening up about my sobriety until i reached my one year soberversary uh, and that is when I put out my first post saying, hey, you guys didn't know this about me, but I had a drinking problem and I am officially one year sober today. And let me tell you about what has happened um, and how I got here and where I'm at now and why I'm so excited. You know, we talked about uh, earlier about that energy that comes in early sobriety and realizing like, yay, I finally got out of my own way. And the whole world just opened up for me. It was that kind of energy that I wanted to share with people. And that really was the start of kind of a new uh, topic of conversation for what I wrote about. And now I generally focus on sobriety and recovery in my writing. And uh, I started writing a book at that point. Uh, But then the pandemic hit Mm -hmm. and motherhood as we knew it changed so much parenthood but motherhood in particular because many mothers bore the brunt of the kids being sent home from school and um women were generally in a more of a service job you know according to the u.s census data uh so more women either lost their jobs during the pandemic or they had to quit to now homeschool the kids. And we saw this tremendous rise in drinking for women at that time. 
And I was two years sober at the time, but me and a group of um, a couple of women uh, started the Sober Mom Squad because uh, we saw what was happening. Like It was terrifying. Recovery meetings were shut down overnight. Nobody had anywhere to go. Uh, and we saw uh, this alcohol will fix us mentality uh, just being blasted across social media, across the news, you know, pandemic punch and quarantinis, right? Mm. And um, we started Sober Mom Squad and we've been doing meetings. I've been hosting meetings with that group for, it'll be four years in March. It's been incredible. And not just, you know, for people in the group, for me too, it's changed my recovery. It's changed my life. It made me want to get my coaching certification. Uh, and it made me uh, feel this call to kind of lean in to how I can be a better service to people because I get to be on this journey with so many other people uh, who they want the best for themselves. They they tried self-sabotage. It didn't work for them. And they want to try something different. And they're not sure how. And we can help each other. Yeah. It's it's a real gift for, I think, those of us that feel that our, our, a calling, purpose, whatever you want to throw on it is to um, help people in that way. Because we just never expect how much it gives back to us, you know? It's like you do it because it's the right thing to do, but then all of a sudden it's like, oh my gosh, how this is changing me. And then to be able to share with people that we work with to, you know, kind of shine the light in the dark cave for them and it's, and let them know. And, you know, it's that beautiful reciprocal energy, love, you know, I, I don't really know how to word it. It just comes it our is. way other than a gift. It's cyclical. It really is because I share my story. People write back to me and say, I'm on day 20 because of you, or I'm ready to rethink my relationship to alcohol because of you. And that then gives me energy back to want to keep sharing. I, it really is this uh, cyclical energy uh, of us taking care of each other. Yeah. Uh, latest book is uh, It's Not About the Wine, correct? Yes. It's Not About the Wine, The Loaded Truth Behind Mommy Wine Culture. Uh, available on your website and where else if people want to check it out? Anywhere books are sold. Okay. Yeah, yeah. we got this thing out there. So get it, people. Uh, the link, of course, for Celeste's website is in the podcast description. Now, we're going to switch it up the shits and giggles time of the episode, <laughs> lighten, lighten things up. Uh, some random questions. These are just to have fun with um and uh, i can talk to you forever we got I, i'm gonna have to have you on again sometime because i just I love I've that. really appreciated this but uh if you could have one superpower what would it be and why i would love to be able to fly so i could travel anywhere i wanted anytime feel the the freedom that must come from being up in the sky without worrying about falling uh, I think that'd be really cool. <laughs> I don't know about you. I used to travel a lot when I was younger and I spoke at a convention last year in uh, Wisconsin. I'm like, 
oh my God, this TSA thing has really changed. So it'd be nice just to even avoid that part of it, you know? Not feeling like cattle on an airplane? Yes, uh -huh. sign me up. All <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, what's the best advice and worst advice you ever received? Uh, we can focus it on recovery because there's been so much, right? Okay, the best advice I've ever received, it was actually, it, it was given to me as a runner. I'm a runner, mm. but I use it in recovery and in coaching all the time, which is the first mile is a liar. And in your, when you're running, the first mile just sucks. It always, It's never going to feel good. <laughs> it, it, you really don't get into your groove until mile two or three. So you just have to suck up the first mile. And that really is how it works in recovery too. Like the early recovery is going to suck. I don't know anybody who says those were the best days of my life. Now you suck it up and you work towards better miles ahead because they do get better. Uh, so that's definitely the best advice. The worst advice I've heard um, is, oh gosh, that's a hard one. Uh, probably just um, anything to do with hustle culture, that mm -hmm. you can hustle your way out of any discomfort, out of any challenges you're having around parenting or motherhood. Uh, that's... Because, you know, even in recovery specifically, the whole point is to be able to learn how to sit with the discomfort. Mm -hmm. Hustle just distracts us from all of that core work. Uh, so I think anything where it comes to just bossing your way through um, your challenges is is not helpful. It's not useful. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And and you saying it that way to examine the the you know the initial run at sobriety and then the fall off of it it was that mentality ah, i can hustle my way through i can keep working at that i get you know no <laughs> it was a good way to fail for sure and you're right about the first the first year i like i you know tell newcomers like Hey, look, you, you've sucked at a lot of things in your life and you're going to suck at this at first. It's okay. Like, you know, yeah. it's how you do it. Like, you know, my skill sets that I have, I sucked at them when I started, but you know, but kept going. Um, what is something that people would be surprised to learn about you? Maybe a hobby, an interest, uh, maybe collect something interesting. I think people would are surprised when I tell them um, I am a endurance runner. Um, I just finished my fifth marathon and I didn't start till after I became a mom. Oh. So, um, I started running, um, at age 35. So, uh, you can do anything whenever, whenever you feel the drive to do it. And, um, I'm not a good runner, you know, I'm not, I'm not <laughs> winning, I'm not winning, races or anything uh but i can i can run 26 miles in one in one outing and um i think that that's pretty cool and i love my favorite thing is when we're i'm talking to my kids about where something is i'm like yeah that's about eight miles away and my kids say oh you could run there mom <laughs> that's badass that's what it's pretty that cool is. and you didn't come from a like a, a athletic background in high school or any of that I played volleyball in high school, um, but I've never been a runner. Never, it never, I always thought it was miserable, awful, painful. 
it wasn't until my first year of motherhood where I was like, I have to get out of the house. I just have to get out of the house. And I just started <laughs> running. <laughs> yeah. But let, let, I know this is a random question, but you said something so important there. Like this is, this is painful, awful, miserable. But really, like part of self-care that I've learned, it, it, we can frame it in the mind so much that way. But especially with those of us that are, are recovering addicts, we like the paycheck on the front end, not the back end, you know, yeah. because like you said, the first mile sucks. But boy, the rest of it and how you feel and sleep and, you know, longevity of life and movement. I mean, I don't want to I've had several family members where at the end of life they were they couldn't go anywhere. I don't want to have that life. So I'd like to do everything I can in my power to make sure I do for my longevity. There's so many parallels to running and recovery, especially long distance running. When you get to in a marathon, mile 18, they call it the wall because you your your brain feels like it is conspiring to make you stop. It will throw everything at you to be like, this is stupid. You're wasting your time. This doesn't matter. You can stop. Nobody will care. And to keep going when it feels like your own brain is conspiring against you, uh, it takes mental toughness. Uh, it takes training. Uh, and that that's harder than the actual physical part of long distance running. So yeah, the parallels are huge, but knowing that what's on the other side is going to take your breath away, you know, is, is why we run. Yeah. Uh, one last one here for you. Um, if they were to make a movie about your life, uh, what genre would you want it to be? And who would you like to have play adult you? Ooh. Okay. Uh, Well, I think I would want it to be a rom-com <laughs> because I don't <laughs> want anybody to see my life and think of it as a tragedy or uh, depressing or anything like that. I would I would want it to be fun. I would want people Likewise. to leave the movie theater uh, with a beat in their step. Um, so I would say rom-com starring maybe Blake Lively. That'd be fun. All right. And likewise, you know, uh, as I tell people, God, you've, they, they have them say, you've been through a lot. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm alive. So we can have laugh, a, a good laugh about it. If I, if it had taken my life, then okay, it's a tragedy, but it's not, I'm still here. <laughs> and and there's a how, I mean, you, I'm sure you'll agree with this. Like how important is humor to get through some of the hardest parts of recovery? I mean, it, it can make all the difference. It's so vital, absolutely vital. Like some people, you know, I've had it where I shared at meetings certain things and people, you know, newcomers like, how are you laughing about that? I'm like, because it's funny to me now. It just is. I mean, it's it, sure it's reprehensible behavior, but a lot of comedy is based upon that. And, uh, you know, it's right. just how, how I see my life now you know, in reflection and, and at least the best memory that I can recall, like I tell, you know, people like, Hey, the part of your brain where the, your memory is, that's where your fantasy mind is too. So my stories can end up really <laughs> outlandish, you know? So, uh, and I have to ask others for relevance. Like, did that happen that way? Eh, not quite. 
You know uh, what? It doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> right. As it's long all as, about the story. As long as the message is there, right? Exactly. Uh, well, the website is CelesteVaughn.com. Please go check it out. That link is in the podcast description. And, um, you know, if if what has been shared here today, I know much like myself, people can reach out to you and, and you know, hey, we're we're available for questions. It's what we do. Yeah, no, I love that. Thanks for um, talking to me about this. I, I know it's so important. I feel like talking about parenting um, and alcohol use can be hard for people because they don't necessarily go hand in hand in the way that I think societally we might uh, say they do. And uh, to share that there is a, a better way to do it an easier way, a more sustainable way is important. And I think it's something that um, people might need to hear. Absolutely. Well, it's been my pleasure. Thank you so much. And on that note, people remember no outside solutions to inside problems and keep knocking doors down. Knocking, knocking doors down. So